Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning and happy Easter, everybody. Happy Easter to those who are watching online as well. Um, I don't know about you, but maybe you do. I'll just throw this out. Do you have people in your world who like have all kinds of trivia knowledge about things that are completely irrelevant to you? Okay, you do, you do. You know, and every once in a while they're like, to, hey, did you know? And they'll say something that's like, no, but I, I do now. Thank you for, thank you for sharing. Um, well, I, I ran across some stuff like that that I thought I, I would just share with you as we, as we start today. And uh, may, maybe you didn't know this, but <clears throat> did you know that people who suffer from boanthropy believe that they are a cow and will try to live their life as a cow? <laughs> maybe that explains someone in your world. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Wouldn't wish that on anybody. How about this one? Did you know that every continent except the Antarctica has at least one McDonald's. Now, I know people who would think that's good news. Um, not, my, not my idea of good news. But at any rate, it's, a, it's, it's their deal. Uh, did you know that there are more Lego minifigures in existence than actual people on the earth? We are being taken over by short, plastic people. Did you know that you'll produce enough saliva in your lifetime to fill two swimming pools. You can thank me at lunch for that one, eh? Did you know that in the time it's taking me to say this sentence, around 50,000 cells in your your body died and were replaced with new ones? Amazing. Did you know that dolphins, who seem to be so happy-go-lucky, actually sleep with one eye open at night? Okay, one more. Did you know that roller coasters were invented to distract Americans from sin? Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's true. In, in the 1880s, a hosiery businessman named Lamarcus Thomas hated that Americans were tempted into hedonistic places like saloons and brothels, and so he set out to straighten up one of the most immoral places that uh, you know, he could think of, which was Coney Island in New York. And there he built America's first roller coaster to give New Yorkers some good, clean fun away from these seedier pastimes. Sometimes knowing facts like this is just entertainment and information at best, and it doesn't really mean a whole lot to your life or change your life, maybe your perspective in some way on some things. You'll probably feel a little bit more righteous the next time you are on a roller coaster after hearing this, just just a little bit more like, hey, I'm not sitting. Going around. But the fact, facts and truth do matter. And they did at the time of Christ as well. And we find that in a conversation that's happening with Jesus just before he goes to the cross. John chapter 18 and verse 37 says, therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you said correctly that I am a king. For this purpose I have been born and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? 
What a profound question to be asking the very embodiment of truth, Jesus Christ. What is truth? And truth, you know, has taken quite a beating over um, the last number of years. Um, you know, we've heard about things like fake news and, and uh, you know, all, all the rest of, of what we see happening in, in social media world that tries to present something as true that's not true, et cetera, et cetera. Plato said in his book, uh, Sophist, that a, truth, a true claim states things the way that they are, states things the way that they are. His student, Aristotle, said something similar in Metaphysics where he said this, this is the correspondence theory of truth. A claim or a proposition is true if it corresponds with a fact. And so, for instance, Adam, I'll, I'll, I'll pick on you. You're on the front row. You're very pick honorable. <laughs> did you drive a car to church today? You did. Is it parked in the parking lot out here? It is. Do you have the lights left on in that car? You hope not. Okay. So if I make the claim to Adam and I say, you know what? I just believe your car is in the parking lot outside. Well, this would be true because the statement corresponds and matches the reality that his car is parked outside. The proposition corresponds with a fact. This truth is then absolute. But of course, when it comes to matters of faith and when it comes to matters of religion, people can think that somehow there's an exemption from the idea of being absolute and that truth is, is more about your truth, kind of your choice, all the rest of it. People might think that religious truth isn't absolute, but it's just relative to how you feel about things. And, and what I mean is that people think, well, that's just your faith. That's just your decision to believe what you want to believe. But if I was to say to Adam, you know, Adam, my truth is that I believe your car is not parked in the parking lot outside. Well, you would know that I'm wrong. And the reason you would know that I'm wrong is that, and it's not true, and it's not accurate, is simply because, you know, just stating that it's truth doesn't make it truth because it doesn't match the reality of what's actually happening. And it's a false claim. It's a false claim. Opinions can be subjective and personal, but facts are not. Relativism doesn't make sense logically. To say that there are no absolutes is actually an absolute statement. It's self-contradictory to say, there's no absolutes. Are you absolutely sure? <clears throat> it's self-contradictory. If a member of the Flat Earth Society didn't agree that the world was round, you wouldn't say, well, you know, truth is relative. And uh, if that's your belief, if that's your true, if, if that's what works for you and fits with your beliefs, that's okay. No, what you would say to him is, you're wrong. You're wrong. Why? Because your claims don't match the facts. Oh, by the way, there actually is a flat earth society, which should really, really make you nervous. At any rate, <laughs> the Christian faith is founded in facts that support the truth of the gospel. Truth isn't relative. Faith in Jesus isn't relative. That is, it's not determined by simply what you say that you believe, but truth is what is consistent with reality. And the resurrection is true because it's consistent with the resurrected Christ. The Christian faith is founded in facts that support the truth of the resurrection. It's not a question of your truth and my truth. It's a question of the truth. Yeah. 
In Matthew chapter 28, we begin to see people discovering the resurrected Jesus. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. The guards shook from fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying and go and quickly tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I've told you. Do you know, after this encounter, the religious leaders decided, we gotta do something about this. Jesus has risen, he's missing from the tomb. Let's spread some fake news, let's lie, let's, let's tell everybody that his body was stolen. This, of course, didn't uh, stand the scrutiny of the entire situation, it wouldn't uphold. You see, the guards that were on duty, the fact that if, if they messed up on what they were doing, it was certain that they would be killed for it. In other words, here's your job, if you mess up and you get fired, we kill you. The stone was large enough that it required an earthquake to move it, not just two women visiting a tomb. The appearance of Jesus to, uh, to his disciples is recorded in the scripture, as well as the Bible says to more than 500 others that saw him. The start of the church happened immediately. Jesus rises from the grave, spends a little bit of time, then he ascends with the announcement, go start the church. So that start was immediate. People would have been around who were both eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ and, and, and people would know, like, you can't make this up. This is for real. This happened. If it didn't happen, there'd be plenty of people who could have witnessed against what they were saying. But it was eyewitnesses that were preaching the message of the resurrection. The persecution of the apostles until death wasn't over a lie. It wasn't like these guys decided, you know what, we just like this resurrection idea, we're gonna preach that for a while and, and then end up being uh, you know, martyrs for a lie. They're not gonna be a martyr for a lie. They weren't a martyr for a hallucination either. They were a martyr for preaching the truth of the reality of a resurrected Jesus. And then of course the global spread of the gospel was signs and wonders that follow around the world. John chapter 20 and verse 26 says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. That's what you should say when you walk through locked doors to people. <laughs> then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Notice what Jesus did. He said, listen, I'm gonna show you the reality of who I am. I want you to put your hand here. I want you to put your hand here. Thomas, I, I'm not just telling you to believe because I want you to believe. I'm not telling you just to make a decision uh, to decide to believe. I'm giving you the evidence of why you should believe. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, then Jesus told him, because you see me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they believed. Yes. So why do those people believe who have not seen? Because from Thomas on forward, 
the message just keeps getting passed down. And we believe because of what others have said and then experienced. My Lord and my God was the revelation of who Jesus is because of the truth of the resurrection that Thomas actually witnessed. The resurrection is not only central to the message, the resurrection is the message. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse three through four, it reads this way. For what I've received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This little section of scripture is known as the Apostles' Creed. It was written literally within months of Jesus' ascension to heaven. And it was something that was passed around on the early church. It was like, here's the gospel in a summary. Here's how we can say it. This is what happened. This is who Jesus is. It summarizes the facts about Jesus, the facts that are foundational to a faith in him as the savior of the world. Facts that could have easily been refuted given the time frame around which it was written could have been refuted. But Jesus wasn't a myth. And Jesus wasn't a legend. Jesus's life, his death, his resurrection are a fact in history. That's why we find scriptures like this in Acts 2.32 where it says, it is this Jesus whom God raised up, a fact to which we are all witnesses. The preaching of the gospel wasn't about, this is what I choose to believe this is what I think about Jesus. This is my opinion. It was the truth of which we are witnesses. After all, why would apostles go around speaking about an event that everybody knew wasn't true and they could easily disprove? Furthermore, why would they tell a lie only to eventually die for telling that lie? They proclaimed the resurrection because it was true and they died for proclaiming it. The resurrection by the way, wasn't just part of the message. It was the message. The scriptures talk about the disciples preaching the resurrection, that phrase, preaching the resurrection. In fact, they go on to say that without the resurrection, there's no Christianity, that your faith is useless. He's just another person who lived and then was crucified, game over. But because of the resurrection, we know he wasn't just another person. He was God in the flesh who lived a sinless life, who died bearing the sins of the world and was raised again, just as was prophetically spoken the Messiah would do. The resurrection of Jesus reveals the identity of Jesus, that he is God in the flesh, who came and died for our sins, who rose again offering us forgiveness and eternal life. John chapter 14, verse six, Jesus answered and said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, this statement is only further validated by the event of the resurrection. You could read the statement and say, well, that sounds arrogant. That sounds exclusive. Maybe even that sounds proud. But because Jesus rose from the grave, that sounds like truth. That sounds like something I can put my faith in. You don't get to pick who Jesus is to you. You don't get to have your own Jesus. People try to do that. Well, this is what my Jesus is like. You know, this is what I think Jesus is like. Jesus is my homeboy, you know, or whatever they want to. <laughs> Stupid. Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus is a moral person. Jesus is a way of life 
filled with kindness towards others. Jesus is, I heard people talk about, you know, Jesus is just sort of a way of life that goes on from generation to generation. Listen, you don't get to pick your own Jesus. There's only one Jesus. It's the true Jesus. The Jesus who came, the Jesus who lived, the Jesus who died, the Jesus who rose from the grave, the Jesus who is the Messiah, Savior of the world, Lord, God in the flesh. You don't get to pick who Jesus is to you. You only get one thing to do with Jesus, and that is this. You either accept him and follow him or you reject him. That's the only two choices you got to do with Jesus. The truth of who he is is meant to define your life. It's not the other way around where we get to define Jesus. Truth means everybody can't be right. In other words, you can't say, well, this is what I think Jesus is. This is what I think Jesus is. This is what I think Jesus is. And we're all right all at the same time. No, 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 no. That's not how truth works. Truth means everybody can't be right. It's not a matter of assigning your version of an identity to Jesus. Everybody doesn't get to make their own truth choice and then all of us are right at the same time. All through the book of Acts over and over again, it talks about the apostles' message giving witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Because the resurrection of Jesus is the final word on who Jesus is. God in the flesh came to redeem mankind. Wonderful, though, that this truth comes with a promise. The truth of the resurrection also tells us what's true about you. Because I know the resurrection is true. I know some things that are also true about you. So now that I've finished my introduction, let's get into the message. Here's what I know is true about you. First is this. Your life is never without hope. Because of the resurrection, your life is never without hope. You know, receiving Jesus into your life means you're no longer without hope. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus speaks to the fact that our lives are not without hope. The fact that Jesus would be dead, his body would be lifeless for three days and then rise again is a recovery from what would be literally the most hopeless situation imaginable. I wonder what it is about your life that at this point in time appears to be without hope. You know, we all go through things that look hopeless to us. And too often people get to a place of something that looks hopeless to them and, and then they can just give up. And, and even worse yet is to be at that place where it feels hopeless and then feel like, well, you know, maybe this is just the will of God for my life. It's a terrible place to be at. But people get to that place of hopelessness when they don't see anything they can put their hope in that might turn the situation around. And sometimes there's things that have helped us in our past, but, but we can come to a place where what's helped us in our past won't necessarily help us in our future. You, you know, you can come to a place where it doesn't matter how much money you have, it won't change things. Won't change things. It may have helped you in the past, but you're in a situation right now where having enough money isn't the issue because money won't change the situation. You can be at a place where you don't have enough friends and you don't know enough people to turn things around because 
People and friends aren't gonna turn this around. You might be in a place where your own wisdom and your own efforts are just gonna come up short. They may have helped you in the past, but you're at a place right now where that's not gonna work. Life has brought you to a place of hopelessness because there's nothing that you have in your life that you can attach your hope to. That's why the gospel invites you to attach your hope to Jesus. First Peter 1.21 says, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Your faith and hope are in God. Christ's resurrection speaks to the fact that our faith is put into a living God, or as 1 Peter calls it, a living hope. It's not a dead Jesus, it's a resurrected Jesus who can answer our prayers, who can move on our behalf, who can make things happen in our world. And over the years, I've experienced Jesus taking hopeless situations and bringing them back to life in people. That same Jesus who rose from the grave can resurrect some things in your life. I've seen broken families come together because of Jesus. Marriages that were falling apart. Looks like it's over. Looks like it's a done deal. Decisions have been made. But Jesus gets involved and he resurrects and restores that marriage. I've seen families where their, their child has gone their own way, you know, prodigal son as the Bible describes in, in the Gospel of Luke, that, who just decides, you know what, I'm just gonna live my life the way I wanna live. I don't care what my family's doing. This complete separation completely turned around and reunited. We've seen addicts who seemed hopelessly stuck in their addiction finding freedom. We've seen couples who were told, you know what, don't expect to have children. It's not working for you. They've gone on for years. I'm talking like a decade without having any children, but a miracle takes place. They put their faith in God. They keep their hope in Jesus. And all of a sudden there's a pregnancy to the surprise of the medical community. And we've seen that several times, by the way. In my office, I have a cane that a lady used one Easter to come to service a few years ago. She'd actually been using it for years. She'd been in an accident ended up walking with the need of a cane for some time. And though she believed in Jesus, she kind of had a belief in her heart like, this is my cross to bear in life. But when she heard that Jesus bore her sickness on the cross, that Jesus took her pain to the cross, it brought her hope. She realized she didn't have to bear this any longer. She could give it to Jesus. She came forward at the end of a service she laid the cane on the platform right over here and walked away healed, never needing it again. <clears throat> the resurrection is Jesus overcoming hopelessness in your life. You are never without hope because of a resurrected Jesus. Because Jesus resurrected, and that's true, I know what's true about you, and that is this. You are not defined by your past. You are not defined by your past. Receiving Jesus into your life means you are not defined by your past. 1 Peter 3.21 says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, Without Jesus, we're simply left to ourselves and our past to define who we are. 
We may look to our accomplishments. We may look to our family of origin or even to our ethnicity and think that that's what's defining us. But even that can fall short because it's often mixed with events and mistakes that have happened in our past. And, and so your past would like to become your identity. Your past would like to make a statement over you that sticks with you for your life. Your past would like to define you. Your past would like to label you. And whatever that label is, it begins to control you, begins to limit you. Even if that label is old and it's historic, it, it, it just can seem to hang on because you believe it because it came from your past. Sometimes what is defining us is simply the shame of our past, the shame of poor choices, the shame uh, even of our family perhaps that you grew up with or the environment that you came from as the expression goes, you know, I was born on the wrong side of the tracks, you know, that kind of thinking. And you can be saying to yourself as you're listening to this, yeah, pastor, but, but you don't understand. You don't understand some things about my past. You don't understand that nobody knows this, but I had an abortion. Nobody knows this, but I have a secret porn addiction. Nobody knows this, but I spent a season in prostitution. Nobody knows this, but I'm a liar and a thief. I've had an affair. I've been divorced once or twice. I'm a drug addict, I'm a closet alcoholic, or some other embarrassing secret that you have your attention on. But I want you to know something, that is this. The resurrection means God can erase the shame and restore your conscience for a brand new future. You know, David from the Old Testament knew what it meant to live in the shame of poor choices in his life. He'd had an affair, he tried to cover it up, he eventually committed murder. But when he had experienced the forgiveness of God, here's what he said about the Lord, Psalms 3.3. He says, but you, Lord, are a shield around me. You're my glory and the one who lifts my head. You know, your past wants to color your life with shame. Shame is what keeps your head down. Shame is what caused you to think, I don't want to make eye contact. I, I can't be confident in myself. I, this is how I feel about me. But David said, you know what I found out about God? He is my glory and the one who lifts my head. He brings me out of that. The problem with having a label in your life is that you can't live at a level that is higher than what you believe about you. And so if your past makes you think life is just going from one problem to another, from one failure to another failure, from stress to stress, from strife to strife, from relationship to relationship. That's gonna determine the life that you'll lead and the experiences you'll have. That kind of thinking will never fight for a bigger, better, healthier future for your life. Romans chapter six and verse four says, therefore, having been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too, may walk in newness of life. You know, it's amazing how accurate the scriptures are because, because the word of God is saying, listen, you need a brand new start. And guess what? When you get water baptized, when you give your life to Christ, the next thing that happens is you get water baptized. When you get water baptized, you take your past and you bury it just like Jesus was buried. And just like Jesus rose from the grave to a newness of life, you raise from that water to a brand new start in life, a brand new beginning. The past is buried. I've got a new future. His resurrection ensures my new beginning. 
It's a newness of life, not the same old, same old. It's not what I was, I will always be. It's not my past predicts my future, but his resurrection opens the door to a brand new beginning. If your past is predicting your future, you need to change your past. I can't go back and change my past. That's right. But you can bring your past to Jesus and experience being forgiven, the blood of Christ covering it, and being released from your past to have a different future. You can get the shame off your past. You can get your conscience clear and let the promises of God's world, word build a completely new vision for the future that God intends for you, not the one that your past would like to intend to you. Here's one more thing I know about you because I know that Jesus rose from the grave. I know that your future is determined by your response to the resurrection. Your future is determined by your response, your future now, your future in eternity. Responding to the truth of the resurrection is the beginning of a relationship with Jesus. Even in the scriptures that talks about the resurrected, uh, resurrection of Jesus and the fact that people saw the risen Christ, but it also records that there were some that didn't believe. They're like, here he is, he's rose from the grave. Can imagine Thomas, hey, I, I actually got to touch his hand. I actually got to touch his side. He is risen. And yet in the midst of that fact, there were people who chose not to believe. And they missed out on the life they could have had of trusting the Savior, a choice they could have made to know Jesus, to have eternal life and to discover God's purpose for their world. The resurrection means so much more than we can talk about in, in just one Easter uh, service. Unless, of course, you got time. No, just kidding, just kidding. But really, it does. The resurrection is all about God filling your life with his purpose. It's about fulfillment. It's about coming to Christ and realizing, I don't have to chase after this and that in order to have a fulfilled life. I'm already fulfilled because I got a relationship with Jesus. I got the greatest thing that life offers to know God, a life of healing, belonging, destiny, God's presence in your life and your family, doing life in relationship with him, experiencing Jesus working both in you and through you, just to name a few. The beginning of this is a decision of faith. And here's what faith is not. Faith is not blind faith. It's not a faith that says, well, I don't have any facts. Don't have any evidence, but, but I'm just choosing to believe because that's what I think the Bible wants me to do. No, that, that's, not, that's not biblical faith. It's a faith with plenty of reason, and it's a reasonable faith. Well, I, I wasn't there to actually see the resurrection. No, but thank God there were people that were, and they passed that story on down to us in a reliable fashion. Biblical faith is saying this to God. I believe that Jesus is the savior of the world, that his death and his resurrection have paid for my sins. I therefore ask for forgiveness and I accept Jesus Christ into my life, choosing to trust him. And that demonstrated by a life of following him. Romans 10, nine and 10 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, meaning basically Jesus is gonna be the leader of my life and that he is God. I'm recognizing he is God. And I believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. 
For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and you're saved. Here's what I know about you because of the resurrection. You are just one prayer away from the amazing life that God has for you if you'll trust him. One prayer away. I wanna invite you to stand because we're gonna pray that prayer. You know, maybe you're here today and you've never prayed this prayer. You've never invited Christ into your life. You've never taken that step of faith to say, okay, I'm gonna say yes to Jesus. I'm gonna surrender to him. I believe he's the Lord. I believe he's the Messiah. Then I wanna invite you to pray this prayer with us. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I know in my past I prayed that prayer, but I know that I haven't been living intentionally as a Christ follower. Well, this is your opportunity to renew. This is your opportunity for a new beginning at walking with God, to be able to say, you know what, I, I just, I need to set this right. I don't need to leave it the way it is right now in my life. I don't need to leave it messy, not really walking with convictions, not pursuing God, even though I know it's all true. No, no, I need to set this right. I need a new beginning in my walk with the Lord. Then this prayer is for you as well. I just wanna invite us to bow our heads for this moment. And I wanna ask, how many here, first of all, would say, you know what, I've never, prayed the prayer of inviting Jesus into my life. But I just want you to know, I'm praying it with you today. Can you just give me a wave? You've never prayed that prayer, but I'm praying it with you today. I wanna ask one more question. How many here would say, you know what, Pastor? I know I need to renew my walk with God. I know I need to renew my commitment to Christ. I know I need to renew my decision to follow Jesus. And if that's you, Can you just give me a wave, if that's you? I need to renew my faith. I need to renew my walk with God. I need a new start, a new beginning. That's awesome. You guys can put your hands down. We're gonna pray with you right now all together. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are who you say you are, and that you came and you died and you paid for my sins and you rose again offering eternal life and the opportunity to walk with you. Today I confess you as the Lord of my life. I believe you rose from the grave. I'm gonna follow you with all my heart. This is my new beginning of walking with you from this day forward in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.